Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, Broker Nation. Welcome to Island B Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, I talk to a rookie who's making waves in the industry to find out how they're succeeding in today's competitive and slowing market. Today's a unique episode. We're doing a best of, and this is the clips from the last six months the shows that had the best response as well as downloads. So I've got five episodes where I've got clips from those episodes to share with you. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application document collection submission platform designed specifically for Canadians. It's very easy to use for brokers as well as borrowers. It's got some cool features. Smart Docs is one of them. Basically, when the client's filling out the application, if they're self-employed, the application knows and knows what documents to ask for. They've got smart submission notes. When you go to hit the submit, it pulls the key data from the application to pass on to your lender. Because if you've ever seen what a lender sees on their side of the screen, it actually looks drastically different than what you see. And every lender is different. And finally, it's got a connection to the lender spotlight, which has all the rates, guidelines. It can go in and search and let you know if your file is even going to be a fit. So go check them out at lendescom slash Finmo. Set up a free demo and they'll walk you through their whole program. All right. So coming up in the very first clip, it's from Tyler Stiller, episode 23. And it's the title of the episode is funding 67 mortgages in his first year. I actually got a message from Tyler the other day and he's like, we'd help him find an assistant. And I think he's on track to do like 60 million, which is crazy. Even with the slowdown guys doing amazing, but listen to this episode from Tyler talk about why he got into the mortgage industry, how he lost a file and then advice for first year brokers. I decided to get in the mortgage industry for a couple of reasons. So since we've been married, my wife and I, we've bought four properties together. So three are rentals. We have another one under contract now. I was working with a major bank and the mobile mortgage specialist, he would never answer his phone. He didn't have his voicemail set up. He would never answer text messages and he wouldn't answer his emails. I'd have to call his assistants, get an answer. And then I get a call from him saying, please don't call my assistants. And it was just like the most frustrating thing. I had no idea what was going on, if my properties were going to close or anything. On the last property I bought, he called me 15 days prior to closing and said, underwriter determined it's a student rental. You're going to have to put 35% down instead of 20% down. So I got it closed. And in the meantime, I found out this guy does about 40 files a month. So he's extremely busy. And I was thinking to myself, holy smokes, like if this guy can do this much business, with this bad of an experience for the customers, like I can do it so much better than him. So that was like one thing that I just was like, man, if he can do it, I can do it better. You alluded on this about the first three months being brutal, but I always love if you can share a file that you lost when you started out, but now looking back, you're like, oh, dang, I would have played that totally differently so that <laughs> other people listening can learn from it. So can you share a file that you, you know, oh, without, without this one client name, but the more specific the details, the better, because then hopefully it sits in other people's brains for them to avoid. This, this one will haunt my nightmares forever. It was a referral from a friend of mine. He runs a business and one of his staff, New Canada, was looking to buy their first house. So me and him were talking over the phone and like he would not send me any documents, which I have always heard. And from reading like the Dustin Woodhouse books, it's get the documents up front, mm-hmm. especially in today's market when everyone's going firm. And I didn't. I told him, I said, listen, I don't have your documents to verify this stuff. But like based on what you're telling me, this is what you should be good for. And I shouldn't have said that because it turns out he's not an employee. He's an independent contractor for six months. He was new to Canada. He let his visa expire. His wife's visa expired. So he got his visa back, his work visa. His wife lost the CCB income. And I got the deal actually from, yeah, from a friend. So the whole deal fell apart. Like he had 5% down payment. 
And it was just a nightmare. I had to call the poor guy and say, listen, there's literally no options for you. I think he ended up finding somebody to do like a private behind a private behind a private to get it done. But I wasn't interested in also putting someone in that situation. So that one is just, if I could say anything, it's like you have to get documents up front. Like you have to. So what and was Canada, why do you think he's pushing you on the document thing? Why was he not wanting to do it? I think he's just unorganized, to be honest. Well, if like, I letting, think he, he was letting his visa and stuff expire. Yes. Yeah. Just shows a, yes. a general, probably a mess of paperwork there. Yes. Uh, yeah. Let's just role play this for a second. So if I'm him and I'm like, hey, man, like, what would you say to me now? Like, what would that look like? My conversation. I would say, here's the list of documents I need from you. I cannot tell you anything. I cannot give you a pre-approval. I cannot give you any guidance until I see all these documents. Right. You don't stick your neck out. I mean, you know, right at the end of the day or even put a client in a bad situation. That's really good. So anybody listening to this, listen to Tyler, right? Do not take the bait. They're going to tell you, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I'm an employee. No, you're not. All these things that you assume, all of it could unravel. Right. If you do it, you will get eventually get burned. You may get away with it a couple of times and think, oh, it's no big deal. But the one time that you get burned, it's going to suck. You probably like the stress of like, oh my gosh, I'm trying to fix this mess. And yeah. I can't, there's nothing you can do. And you know what? I wear a lot of stress and like a lot of weight in this business because you're the difference between somebody losing a house right, or getting the house. And you can put somebody in a position where they're losing a $20,000 deposit and open themselves up to a lawsuit if you do a bad job. Right. Like you are the difference between them living their dream or you making their nightmare come true. <laughs> like, right? like I wear this weight because like it's real. Yeah. It's and nice. this is why they pay us like yeah, that's why we get paid like doctors. So what are the things that you did to be successful, you think, in that first year? Okay, here's some advice that two things that I had advice for. One's my motto is the first thing that really helped me is pick up your phone. I really can't stress it enough. If someone's calling you, pick it up. And if you can't pick it up, send them an auto text saying, I will call you right back. Like just that feedback alone gives people confidence that they're like valued. And like I picked up multiple deals just because I pick it up. And some of my customers even joke around saying like, I pick up first ring, like barely first ring. It's like, that's because you're important to me. And like, you know, if you're buying something for half a million dollars, you better believe I'm picking up your phone. Like it's a big deal. Yeah. So my first piece of advice, pick up your phone always. Like don't text, don't just email, pick up the phone. Yeah. One piece of advice someone gave me off the start was feed those who feed you. So like take care of those people who are sending you clients. And make sure you're being a good referral partner, like add value to their business so they can add value to your business, like take care of each other. And I found like that. Let me ask you a question about that. I think that's great. Feed those who feed you. So give me an example of somebody who helped feed your business and then how you helped add value to their business. So two different types of people. So one is a financial advisor. So my brother is a financial advisor and he's come across quite a few of his clients this year that needed extra money. And he said, well, why don't you just talk to my brother because there's cheap money out there. So he's sending me deals and he's happy to do that because he's my brother, but I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want to just take charity. So I feel like I got to be a good partner. So what I'm doing to people or for people is I'm setting them up with MPP on purchases. If I'm selling an MPP, I say, listen, this is one quote from one company and it's mortgage insurance. You should be talking about life insurance. And here's my brother. So he's been able to sell quite a few life insurance policies this year because I've been able to send them stuff and I've been able for clients that have sold and then bought something else and excess money. I've been able to send them to him. So he's been able to manage their money for him. 
Right. So he's happy with all that. And then realtors, I've had some realtors were like, Hey, if I come across any lead that's half decent in your area, I'm going to send it to you. Yeah. So they're thinking, well, he's supporting my business. I better support his business. It's like, yeah, that's how good business partnerships work. Right. So you basically been able to refer back and forth. Okay. So yes. pick up your phone, feed those who feed you. What's the third piece of advice? And this is kind of going to go back to the first one. It's like if your phone isn't ringing, like if you're not getting leads, you need to make other people's phones ring. Like try everything in your power to get good leads in or any leads in. Plant seeds everywhere. Like do everything until you find your one thing that really works. All right. Hopefully you found that inspiring. I know Tyler, man, he's a rock star. So next episode, I talked to Kayla Hutchinson, and that's from episode 24, overcoming the number one thing holding back new mortgage brokers. Kayla is part of our brokerage and went through the Rookie to Rockstar program and is absolutely crushing it now. She's doing amazing, but we're going to talk about how she went from going from banker to broker, how she lost the file, and as well as using video and the importance of mindset training. So what surprised you most about being a broker versus a banker? Everything's done a little backwards. Like in the banking world, you have to have the full file, all documents appraisal before you can submit it for review. And on the broker side, it's kind of depending on the lender, you send in potentially a shell application, then they ask for documents, then you order the appraisal. So just retraining my brain to think of the process difference. That's been the biggest thing I noticed. Right. So what do you like about being a broker versus a banker? Like what's been an upside for you? I work for my client. Right. What I get mean? to say, pick... explain that to me. So, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so when you're with one bank, you have, you know, a couple different products within them, but you're limited to where you can take that client. So if they decline the client, then I was sending them to a broker. So right. now having a client come to me, I can see who's going to be the best rate product placement based on their long-term goals and make sure that they're actually in something that I'm, you know, I feel good at night about. Right. Okay. Last question on this. And I'm going to have some other questions. So what did you think of brokers before you became one? So you working at the bank, cause there's always this, like, we have yeah. this pre like, it's kind of like, Hey, so what did you think of brokers before you became one? In the bank, it's reinforced that brokers are bad. Like that's just the long and the short of it. Brokers is like the wild west out there. They're just doing crazy things. There's no regulation. Like we can't trust the business that comes from them. Now being on this side, I'm like, wait, what? No, it's roles reversed. Like we're the trustworthy ones. We work for our clients. So it's right. just really, and we really get scrutinized funny. a lot. There's a lot more oh, scrutiny, right? Like, yeah. yeah. Not, so it's yeah. nice having that insight. Cause I know that when I do say something, cause I used to say, Oh, your broker is going to be like a midnight broker. You're not going to be able to get a hold of them in a couple of years. It's reversed. Cause I had an RBC email. And then all of a sudden now clients can't get a hold of me. I am what I said I wasn't going to be. And so You're it's like, funny now. Yeah. So it's funny because now it's like, no, I like you can always get a hold of me. I don't work banker hours. You know, if you need me on the weekend, I might be there to answer your questions. So it's just so funny that everything I said, brokers were is the opposite. Right. Okay. So I always like to share a file that you had lost or that you, because it's different in navigating that now looking back, you'll, oh, I know how to handle that. And the more specific about names of clients, yeah. but the more specific, the better, because I think it helps listeners go, oh, hopefully I avoid that same. Thing. Yeah. So my first and only decline I've had was a insured stated income file. So I was familiar with stated income, but I didn't have the insured product where I was before. So the client was a strong client. He had great income, great business bank statements to support the stated income, excellent credit, but his co-borrower who wasn't stated income had an R2. And so the policy is there can be no R2s between either borrower 
and I didn't catch it. And I just didn't think that it was going to be a big deal because she wasn't the stated income earner. So the file got declined by the insurers and the lenders I had sent it to. But it's not all lost because the R2 was due to a discrepancy that she had filed. And so the collection now is cleared on her credit. And now it's just them waiting to find another house that they like. So the deal fell through, but I haven't lost the client. So Okay, that's actually good. So you, yeah. you lost the deal, but you didn't lose the... Because sometimes you lose both. Sometimes you lose yes. both and the realtor, which even sucks more. You're like, well, oh my gosh. And that yeah. was my biggest concern. And it ended up being a blessing to them because shortly after the deal got declined, they had a personal situation which they wouldn't have been able to complete on the property anyways. So it all worked out and they're really happy with it. So Okay, so that's kind of like, a, okay. But lesson learned, read the policies a little deeper. Make sure you know. And the little, every like, I always say it's like this underwriting, it's like a giant maze and it's so confusing now compared to when mm-hmm. I started, you know, 2006. Uh, yeah. It's so much more complex. Okay, Definitely. so give me an example of something that you have found has been helpful for you in terms of helping with conversion. Using video, using video with my clients from the very first email, getting on Zoom so that clients can see me, interact with me, because they may never meet me, right? So getting them to trust me and building that relationship with them and just shooting off little videos where they can watch and rewatch and just, yeah, getting in front of them as much as I can. So they actually feel like they know me. Right. Yeah. And so was that uncomfortable for you at first? Was that something you were Oh, like, I would re-record video after video after video. And I think it was Lori had said one day, she's like, doesn't matter how many times you do it, it's never going to be perfect. Just do it, send it, get it done. And I was like, yes. Like I needed to hear that because I was so worried that, oh, I, you know, I mumbled my words a little bit, but then I would just laugh it off. And I'm like, I'm a real person and just move on. And it was a learning curve Authenticity for me. beats everything. Be real, be you, and you know it's okay to be a little bit messy. It's all good. So for you then, in terms of like going through this rookie to rock star stuff, what's been the most helpful sort of part of it for you? The mindset training. I was on the struggle bus for the first three or four months. I think you call it the valley of death, and I was just deep, deep. The struggle bus sounds better than the valley of death. (laughs) Like Like that sounds a bit extreme. Well, I was taking the struggle bus to the valley of death. Like it was. I you're broke down in the bus in the valley. Hundred percent. It was just that overwhelming feeling. I'm type A, so like my brain works by. I need to know everything before I take a step forward. And that just doesn't work in this business. So being overwhelmed that I didn't know every lender's policy and being overwhelmed that I didn't know how to succeed at sales. It was just overwhelming to me. I felt so crippled. I'd wake up every day, just feeling exhausted. Like the last thing I wanted to do was go sit at my computer and put myself out there. But the mindset training and, you know, setting a morning routine has been huge. Like I'd always you know, had a morning routine where I was before because I was working 10, 12 hour days. I always had to make sure I got up really early, had all my stuff done before I'd even sit down at my desk. But now kind of having free reign of my business, it was like, well, I'm going to sleep in. I don't have to. Like I'll stay, I'll watch Netflix and sleep in or, you know. Exactly. Yeah. So I started the 75 hard challenge at the end of November. And I think that really helped because it makes you prioritize your time in your personal side, but then it was trickling into my business where it's like, well, I have to get all this stuff done and I only have so many hours in the day. So just get after it. All right. So in this upcoming segment, I talked to Rob Roper. He is a TikTok famous mortgage broker. He's actually a new mortgage broker who built a massive, I think over 310,000 last time I looked, followers on TikTok. If you were like me, at least when I thought, I thought TikTok was just for young people shaking their booties. And I was like, ah, that's not my thing. And so it turns out that you can actually generate leads from TikTok if you can do it properly. So this is from episode 27. We talked about how we started TikTok and why you should be on there. 
when was your first post on TikTok? Remember like the approximate, maybe not the first day, but like yeah, yeah, when? yeah. I think it was like mid June sometime. And then when did the first post, I want to say, I'm using viral with quotations, you can't see it, but when did the first post actually go poof? How long did that take? And can you remember the post that you did? Yeah. So my very, very first post that I did was terrible. <laughs> It got like no engagement. Can we see it if we scroll back far enough? Is it findable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, It's still up there. And it's just me looking at the camera going like, this is where you can still buy a house in Australia for $300,000. And I was trying to highlight that in the city I live in, in Perth, which is on the very west side of Australia, you know, you can get like some decent homes in maybe not so desirable like suburbs, neighborhoods, but, you know, you can still do it. And so I posted that thinking that, yes, I'm going to post one video and then my, you know, the his phone is going to ring. They'll be like, yeah. please do my work. One post and I'm done. I'm the next mortgage broker king, but that didn't happen. So I posted the one video and then after that video, I was deflated. So I think that there was like maybe a three or four day turnaround in between that video and the next one. And I thought, all right, I'll give it one more crack. And if I can't show that I'm, you know, getting anywhere close to the engagement that Enrique was getting, he didn't realize this, but at the time I was heavily stalking his account. And, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) this random Australian dude was like, tell me your secrets, brother. But then it was about four days later, I posted the next one. I thought, well, students in my classes always discuss with me how they find my teaching style valuable and they find it clear. I thought, why not just do exactly the same thing? So I literally got in front of the whiteboard in my tutoring center and set the camera up. And I think I just taught from the whiteboard and was like, look, if this is the credit card limit that you have on your credit card in Australia, it's going to decrease the amount the bank will let you borrow for a home loan by this much. So I literally just educated for 30 seconds to a minute about that. And then I think that one got maybe 60, maybe 60,000 views. Oh, and wow. Yeah. And then I thought, whoa, 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 here we go. I've unlocked this here. People want to be educated about this stuff. And they obviously really enjoyed my teacher style of how I was doing it. And so then I did another one, which I think was different types of the income that you had and whether or not the bank will count it in your application. Mm-hmm. So I was talking about the difference between your normal salary as opposed to your overtime, as opposed to your second job, and different banks just count different percentages. And that if you call up one bank, you're only exposed to you know that one bank's lending guidelines. But if you go to a mortgage broker, they're going to find out which bank suits your needs, basically. And then I think that one got maybe 150 or 160,000 views. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I got into that range, I was like, whoa, like I can see this taking off. And I think by five videos in, I took a screen snapshot of my page and I had 901 followers. I remember that being the turning point. That was the pivotal moment where I was like, yeah, if I dedicate a lot of time to this, I can see it blowing up. Right. Okay. So that's pretty quick. So you went from zero to 900. And then how long did it take you to get to 10,000 followers? Yeah. So at that point, I remember listening to an episode of your podcast where Enrique was talking about the number one strategy that he believed, which I still believe he's correct. And, you know, I still say this to everyone to this day is just consistency. So if you can post once a day in the beginning, you are going to see first of all, what works and what doesn't work. And you're then able to refine what it is that you're doing on the daily to try and maximize uh, your views and your engagement. So I think it was somewhere between 30 and 60 days that I think I got to that 10,000 followers. And the reason why I say that is because I gave myself a 60-day challenge to post every single day, but my 60-day challenge was to try and match Enrique and followers. (laughs) 
Right, I see. So you so, were, you had two things going on. You had to like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So like I said, he doesn't know that this exists. So he's yeah, yeah. Be you know what? It's podcast. funny how we can inspire each other without even realizing that we're, yeah. you know, that's amazing. When he yeah. listens to this, he's going to be like, dang, dude, you like took it to another level. So um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so about 30, 60 days. And then when did you get your first lead? When did you actually like have somebody go, hey, can you help me with a mortgage? How long did that take? Yeah. Yeah, so I think it was just after I took the screen snapshot of the 900 followers. So that would have been like a week and a half in. Really? And so did that lead actually close? Like, when was the first lead that actually turned into uh, business? How long did that take? Firstly, and sometimes firstly, leads are like, hey, I have no job, no money, but you seem like a guy who can help me. Like, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. I spent a lot of time in the early days going back and forth and trying to just, you know, speak to them and help them, whether it was through the TikTok, you know, messenger app or whether or not we then went to Instagram and messaged. So there was a lot of time of me going back and forth because I was not only new to the engagement on TikTok and I wanted to see how that played out and I wanted to see what type of information they wanted to know because that would inform my future content. But I was new to industries. You know, I'd only been a broker for three weeks at this point. Right. So I was still trying to figure out the most efficient way to go about speaking to a customer in the very first instance, making sure that I collect all the correct information, then making sure that all of the documentation was given to me before I waste any more time. I heard you and West Coast Wiley speak about it a million times about making sure that, you know, you don't waste any time until you get the documents required. But when you're new to industry and you're getting excited about the fact that you've got a new customer, um, you can get caught up and burn a lot of your time doing that, I think. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So between June and say November, how did your account grow then? Yeah. So I think it was in November that I cracked 30,000. And were you uh, getting same, business from it at that point? So at 30,000, yeah. was there actually closed mortgages coming from? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was somewhere around the order of 20, I'm going to say. Like it was so you around closed about 20 mortgages and these are directly from TikTok? Directly from TikTok. Correct. What do you say to somebody who's listening to this? who would have been me before Enrique showed me this. I was like, it's fun, but it's like, I'd say it's like the crack cocaine to social media. It's just teenagers <laughs> it on TikTok. Right. And so yeah. like, did you think that that was the case or like, obviously it's not teenagers getting mortgages. So explain that to me. Yeah. So I am like a massive fan of Gary V and I listen to his podcast daily V like every day I listen to one of his podcasts that he releases, even if I scroll all the way back to 2019 and listen to some of them. And he's been talking about TikTok since like, I'm going to say start of 2019. And yep. every single time I listened to him talk about it, I would be like, yeah, but is my niche on there? And when I started thinking about TikTok and I heard Enrique talking about the success, I immediately just went back to every single thing that he had said over the last you know, two years. And I was like, this guy is so correct because if you can get onto the wave early and you're one of the few in your industry really doing it. And when I say doing it, I mean treating it with the respect that it deserves. So posting every day, thinking about strategies you can employ to actually build the following. If you're doing it right, then you stand out. There's no two right. ways about it. All right, in this upcoming section, it's from episode 29. I talked to Cleveland Harris on tripling his volume year over year. And so a couple of things that we cover, what he learned from business financing to apply to his mortgage business, how he lost a file. I love talking about losing files, not because I like losing files. It sucks, but there's always lessons in them. And what he's learned from being part of the 10 loans a month academy. What I learned from 
business financing mainly was how to read financial statements. Okay. So that was the positive that I got from it. So I have a pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with it, even though I have no accounting background, that was the main document that I had to read and understand and come to learn. But the lesson though, was just for me having systems and tools that work, I needed to have more resources at my disposal that were more dynamic than like say an Excel spreadsheet, for example. The other big lesson that I had was how important cash flow is because I had a lot of pending invoices that actually went bust. The deal's closed or you think it's going to close and it hasn't hit your bank account yet. So it's actually not a done deal. And right. I remember putting in months of work, two months, three months, six months of work for it to all go belly up at the end. And, you know, to realize that, yeah, it might look good on paper, but until the fat lady sings or it hits your account. Until the money's in your bank account, it's not it's worth anything. not. And so I come into the mortgage business the same way. Until it hits the account, the deal's not complete. Right. So Yeah, yeah. That's a good lesson. Can you share a file that when you first started out that you lost, but now looking back, you go, oh, dang, if I were to do that file again, I know how I'd handle it. Because there's always files that we lose and there's always lessons. And I love for other people to hopefully not make the same, especially new people, not make the same mistake. Yeah, I mean, I still consider myself relatively new, right? I'm learning still. But one of the things that I've learned, so I lost the file because I wasn't being prompt on my communication. You know, it's easy to pick up the phone when you have good news. It's a lot harder to pick up the phone when you have bad news, like a decline or something that you thought would work and it doesn't. So, you know, for me, in my mind, I kind of just wish the problem would go away or just give me another hour or two or maybe a day. And I was really not prompt. So I believe that file, I lost the file because the customer ended up going elsewhere. The communication wasn't as good as it could have been. And they yep. didn't like that. And so now what I do, whether I have good news or bad news, and it's not necessarily bad news, it's just you want to give the client enough time to plan and to adjust and to pivot. And, you know, by holding out for an hour could be the difference between a deal getting funded or not, especially when you're coming down to crunch time and we're running out of time because we're close to closing yeah. and it's purpose and all this stuff. So I believe I lost that file because of my lack of being prompt. And the customer communicated that. Says, Listen, I don't know. I called you. I didn't know where you were. And I didn't like that. So, OK, let's rewind the clock. So, you know, step into the DeLorean, go back to how would that conversation look like with the client now? So let's say that file came into your desk today. Pretend I'm yeah. the client. What would you say to me? Because people listening, they go, that's I agree with you, Cleveland. That I have the same issue. I don't know what to say. So what would you say to somebody? Oh, well, you know, first of all, if I get an update from a lender, something's not looking good. The ratios are off on an insured file or something like that. I take a step back. I say, okay, no problem. I'll look into it. I'll get back to you. And I try to go and find a solution. Maybe it's something, you know, in the liabilities, maybe we can maybe pay down, or maybe there was a conversation about a potential co-signer or something like that. So I try to find a solution first. And even if I can't, what I do is I give the customer a call, let them know what the situation is. And we try to come up with a solution on the spot. Like, you know, here's where we are in order for us to make this work. Here are a couple of things that we're going to have to consider. So it's just the communication, whether it's good news or bad news. I found that people are pretty resourceful. They may not share everything upfront with you. It's kind of like a need to know basis sometimes beyond, you know, knowing your customer, the information that we need to know. But sometimes in terms of their resources, you know, that doesn't always come up in the initial conversation. But if their problem arises, it's almost like you get to work with the customer to come up with a solution if you can't identify it immediately through the numbers in the application. 
So I just found that to go over a lot better. And even if it's something that the customer can't do, we all know the truth. But at the end of the day, I found that I've had a bit more success because they've had an opportunity to find a solution. Even if it takes them 24 hours to get back to me, they go back and they try to see what they can do. And that's been the biggest aha for me. You know, good news or bad news, let the customer know. Let's work through. Let's try to find a solution. So you joined our 10 loans a month academy in January and Denise is your coach. Tell me what's been kind of their biggest takeaway or what have you learned from working with Denise? Well, just that, just her systematic approach to everything. And it's just the cut to the chase stuff that she has. Her approach is you, know, you kind of get what you get. And, you know, I was able to jump onto her database as a potential client and to see kind of how she handles her customers and how her customers go through her journey in kind of a mock format. And I've been able to take a lot of notes from that to see, oh, okay, this is how you do it right. I love the consistency of her branding and stuff like that. So she's definitely been able to show us how... If you want to set up your business as a true business, there's certain things you have to have in place so that it feels like it's a business. It doesn't feel like you're, you know, you're just going from one deal to the next. So one of the things that I don't do that she brought to my attention was, you know, just kind of that initial call being the gatekeeper and understanding, hey, you're not going to say yes to everything. You know, if you're not a good fit for us and we don't think we can give you the level of service that, you know, we set our standards at, then it's probably best that, you know, you, know, you find another agent. And I think she helps with that process as well, but it's kind of knowing who your customer is and then allowing them to go through your process from um, lead into, you know, a happy customer at the end. All right, in this last episode, it's from Zihang Cheng. He is actually a New Zealand mortgage broker. And it was fun to have a conversation with somebody in another market, just how things are slightly different. And a couple of things that we cover, how he eliminates uncommitted clients. So whether you're in New Zealand, America, or Canada, that's something we all need to get better at. And then also strategies to prevent people from wasting your time. Both of those are completely transferable into any market. Have a listen to this. Can you share, because I always love, you know, especially talking to newer agents, and I know you have different policies, but a file that you lost, but now looking back, you'd be like, oh, yeah. I know how I'd handle that, because there's always a lesson in it. Yeah, I mean, um, I was thinking about that question, but it's quite hard to <laughs> pinpoint one file. So personally, I'm actually a bit more selective when it comes to clients I take on these days. So a lot of the previous clients that I lost were due to either not getting enough buy-in from the client at the start or, um, you know, not putting the best application to the bank. So these days, you know, I would try to keep the clients if I don't think it's going to be a successful application because I've seen, you know, hundreds of applications. I know what is going to be likely successful and what's not. So, you know, previously I would just take everything on, you know, anything and everything. And that would actually burn me out because I get a lot of tough applications, although it might not be the easiest client to deal with and it might not be the easiest application itself. So, yeah. Right. Okay. So that's true even in Canada or the US. So you said you got to get buy-in from the client. So like, how do you know you have buy-in? Yeah, that's a good question for me. It's interesting for us because we don't push our clients to do a lot of pre-approvals. So previously, if a client wants to buy a house, a lot of the times we actually push them to get a live sales and purchase agreement with a 10-day finance clause. I'm not sure if you guys have the same thing in yeah. Canada. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean, they can, may have no clause to financing. They can, yeah, exactly. written into the contract, but yeah. Exactly, exactly. So I mean, for me, I'll do a pre-approval if I have to, if the client's going to an auction or you know, if the client's if we're trying to push out the limit on their pre-approval. But most of the time, I'll give them their budget, do a really uh, you know, comprehensive assessment on the situation. I'll tell them, hey, look, this is how much you can borrow. You don't 
actually need a pre-approval until you know you find a property. So if the clients, you know, they still want a pre-approval, then we might get it. But if the clients at this point, you know, they feel like it's not gonna be their thing, <laughs> then they yeah. won't proceed with us. Yeah. And they might want to go to a bank or another broker. Okay, so I got a couple of questions on that. So yep. when you say you're not gonna do a pre-approval, but you do an mm. assessment, are you still reviewing documents? Like how much are you actually looking at? Nah, because- no documents. I ask the questions. I mean, sometimes I'll review their bank statements, but for us, I guess it's the same everywhere, right? Like the assessment is just your income minus your expenses. So we get them to complete an online profile. So that profile will basically ask us for everything that we need, right? So income, liabilities, expenses, and we go through that yeah, very comprehensively. So generally speaking, I think it's going to give us a pretty good understanding of the client situation. I don't know if Kiwis are just better with money than us, but I find that my clients, at least in Canada, they don't even know sometimes they make because they like yeah. they don't know that that one-time bonus yeah. doesn't count as their income. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. it's kind of like when you ask somebody how good of a golfer they are, everybody always says yeah. they're better. Oh, I can hit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can hit 250 <laughs> yards once downhill yeah. with the wind behind you. And yeah. so how do you navigate that? That borrowers don't always know the uh, right information. Yeah, I guess it's just about asking the right questions. Because the meeting that we have is like 45 minutes. So within that 45 minutes, we get a great understanding of where the clients stand. And, you know, with New Zealand, we're not really big on, you know, credit. Credit is not really a big thing for us. As long as you have, you know, the serviceability and as long as you have the equity. Oh, really? You don't have like credit scores and stuff? We have credit scores, but it's a very, you know, the banks aren't really big on credit scores in New Zealand. Like having a credit card or personal loan is not going to kill your credit. (laughs) Okay, interesting. That's not here, man. Your credit score is going to determine your interest rate. They treat it like wow. it's like God. God wow. said you deserve a six yeah. percent interest rate. Yeah. You know, if that's how God sounded. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> completely okay. different with us in New Zealand. Yeah, we right. don't so, really okay. have a. You don't have that. So then, I guess it makes yeah. sense because with credit, it can really affect everything. So if you yeah. eliminate that as one of the variables, and you just need to look at income and expenses, uh, expenses, then maybe that makes it a little easier. Okay, so you don't review yeah. them, and, and from what I understand, when I was chatting with David from New Zealand, the yeah. auction process and stuff is crazy. Yeah. So you basically give them some kind of, okay, this is what it looks like. When do you think you don't have buy-in? So let's say, yeah, okay, you're listening to this and you're like, well, Scott, that's not how it works yeah. where I am. Don't yeah. worry. I still think that this is useful. Yeah. When do you think, yeah. I don't think I have buy-in? That's a really great question as well. So what we've implemented is we have a unused pre-approval fee. So basically on that first meeting, we say, hey, look, for a complex application, we're going to charge you $350 if you don't end up using the pre-approval. So a lot of the times people, they might just want to come to us and they want to test the waters and see how much they can borrow, but they're actually not really that committed into buying a house. In those situations, then if we tell them, hey, look, you got to pay for this if you don't buy a house, then a lot of the times, you know, they might not go ahead and there's no buy in there, which is quite good at the same time because, you know, they save us a lot of time. If we put that in place here, I guarantee you, it would make a huge difference in the quality. We'd have fewer clients, but we'd have better quality. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So depending on where you are, I know that in some, you know, prop regions, it's illegal to do that because it's yeah. kind of like some people just be like charging fees to talk to people and yeah, not actually yeah. <laughs> not even be able to do a mortgage. But and then I assume if they do the mortgage with you, the fee gets refunded or how does that work? Yeah, absolutely. Well, they don't pay Settlement. the fees. They get settled with you then. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that they don't pay anything unless the pre-approval expires. If it expires and we renew it once, so they've got a six-month window to look for a house. So we get a three-month approval. How do you collect it? So that's a great idea, but how would you collect the 350 bucks? You have a credit yeah, card or something? That's a great question as well. I mean, for us, we don't really enforce it. It's more just a tool for us to... It's just a filter. So you exactly. basically, even the fact that you may get charged it will eliminate the tire kickers. Correct, correct. Right. Yeah. 
So yeah, so for us, like by the end of six months, we'll just send them an invoice. If they don't pay us, then you know, uh, it's um, unlucky. We're not gonna. Right. Okay, pay hopefully none of your borrowers are listening. Don't listen to this if you're from New Zealand. Turn off this <laughs> podcast. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right, thanks again for having a listen to this best of episode. A couple quick things for you. First, if you're a rookie mortgage broker and you're like, man, how do I get my mortgage business going faster, better? I would encourage you to go check out rookie2rockstar.ca. We have a webinar there where I show you exactly how we help new agents build referral-based businesses faster than anywhere on the planet. And I can tell you that the program that we developed came from our 10 loans a month academy from the learning that I did there. And it is the best program that I have ever created. I call it the Picasso. It was my Picasso when I put it together. We have this 100 day challenge that we put people through when they first start up. And we literally walk you step by step from how to go out and you know connect with your network, how to build a realtor list from that network that you have, even if you don't have a large network, and then how to build a presentation that you can go out and convert these people, even if they're experienced realtors into referring you and then how to have the great client process. So discovery call, strategy call, convert that client. And then of course, how to get that file funded. Go check out rookie2rockstar.ca. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.